the two things that are notoriously hard to put words to are perhaps a direct spiritual experience and the experience or presentation of visual art making. By nature, both of them are kind of elusive to words. And to talk about then the relationship between the two feels like trying to just speak with a mouthful of socks or something. I think about at a very young, a young adult age, having something like a mystical experience and literally spending the next few years through art, through writing, through travel, through other, just trying to make sense of it. Welcome back to the Tarka Journal podcast. In this podcast, Stephanie Crigliano, editor-in-chief of the Tarka Journal, and myself, Jacob Kyle, have conversations with each other and other faculty and friends of embodied philosophy about topics and issues from the worlds of yoga philosophy, contemplative studies, and religious and dharma studies. Many of our conversations are inspired by themes we're exploring in the Tarka Journal as they relate to the experience of the scholar-practitioner. Today we're speaking with Ryan Lemire, the art director of Tarka. Art is a really important component to every issue of Tarka, and so we wanted to talk with Ryan about why art is so important for a journal like this, what the relationship is between creativity and spiritual practice, and speak to some of the challenges we, and especially Ryan, have faced in making art and illustrations for a journal that tries to straddle the dimensions of scholarship and practice. If you like what you hear, please do consider leaving us a review on your relevant podcast app, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Tarka Journal. So let's get started. I hope you enjoy the episode. We are here talking about art in the Tarka Journal, art which is a really important piece of the puzzle for all of us. And today, um, in addition to Stephanie and I, we have Ryan Lemaire. Ryan is the creative director, I'll say it, of Embodied Philosophy, and he is the art director of the Tarka Journal, in addition to doing art for all of our promotions and a lot of art for our website. He initially came on board to do the art specific to our journal. So we wanted to invite him here today to talk a little bit about the process of making art in general, the connection between art and spiritual practice, and, and talk a little bit about you know why art in Tarka. So maybe that's where we'll start today is to ask uh, each of you, uh, Ryan and Stephanie, why we think art is so important for the Tarka Journal. Well, I feel like there's there are multiple levels of ways that we receive information. And as a journal that's kind of built upon this idea of a scholar practitioner, we already promote that in a way. We promote that you learn through both both scholarly work and study and through a practice. And art is another complementary element to that. So while an article might have a particular trajectory, an argument that it's making, I think also the visual imagery that comes alongside feeds into what the reader feels and understands from the article itself. And I noticed that for myself, there's a certain tone that's set sometimes by receiving the kind of inner uh, imagery 
the feeling, the colors, all of those kind of things can influence actually how you receive the article and what you do with it. Maybe how much, how long, how lasting the impact of that article is can be influenced by the imagery that's set alongside or set, you know, with it. So I, I feel like it's a very um, critical part of the issue itself. And, um, and it feeds into more of a whole, uh, whole body, whole spirit piece of work that we've created. I think that, you know, so many of the articles detail elements of practice alongside giving some scholarly background and also having that more imaginative, playful, or sometimes serious component um, that, that can be really helpful. It's, it's another part of the psyche. I'm happy to be chatting about this. I really like what you just said, Stephanie, in terms of like the art being able to add some sort of nuance or flavor, or perhaps like a different take, you know, sometimes the art will complement, or sometimes it might kind of um, propose a specific question only kind of subtly suggested through the text. So um, it actually, what you were saying too, reminded me of, I was teaching a drawing class uh, last fall and this always comes up with students in art school. This, this question of what is art versus illustration? And when we think about like a journal um, or an editorial or any sort of commissioned um, creative work, typically we're, we're technically talking about illustration. We're referring to it here as art. And I always kind of, I never really answer the question for the students. It's something that I kind of have them wrestle with a lot. Um, but I always, for me, like the, the thing comes down to illustration as having a job to fulfill. Right. And a lot of the art inside of Tarka seems to really, in my opinion, um, toe the line between illustration, which is fulfilling a job, right? It's, it's describing a text or um, in the case of like a cover image, it's giving someone something to latch on to. And art, you know, has less of a direct job. And we do that here, too. Uh, I think specifically around like the death issue, right, where we commissioned existing art. Um, by Chelsea. And that was really not done as illustration, but we kind of we kind of used it as such. And so when it I think why art, I started to think about why illustration as well, which is a little bit more job directive, if that makes sense. And I would just lean into Stephanie, everything that you just said about the way that um, there's perhaps more of a lasting impression when we have a visual, um, companion for something, you know, um, Jacob, when you first approached me, I remember we talked about, you know, this being an academic journal on one hand, and also an editorial slash even sometimes like a workbook flavor on the other hand, right? And so um, the job that the art or illustration has to do, in my, in my opinion, really kind of has to straddle a lot of these worlds as well. On the one hand, um, I think the art has invited a confusion around what Tarka really is, but also it has reinvented the idea of the journal. I've experienced many people kind of calling it a magazine, and this has really bothered me. And I guess because magazines feel flimsy and sort of cheap and something that you buy at the grocery store and have, I don't know, um, celebrities on the front. I don't know. They just, magazines just feel less substantial. And if anybody's held Tarka in their hands, they know that it is, it's a substantial document. You know, it's, it's thick here. I'll lift one up. 
to the camera. This is actually the thinnest one. And even that's obviously a book. Um, but, uh, and the issues get thicker and thicker as they have they uh, do. Um, since we began <laughs> publishing. Yeah, I actually <laughs> We've sent actually... one to a, a friend for Christmas gift. And she she thanked me uh, with a note ask, thanking me for the book that I sent her. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so I, thought, I didn't know if that was crossing to another line, magazine versus book. I was like, it wasn't a book, it's a journal. <laughs> but I mean, book is, I think, closer to it, right? Because... I guess with Tarka Journal, the reason I think re, one of the reasons why people think it's a magazine is is due to the art. And yet, when you hold it in your hands, you realize the art actually is working with the text to reimagine the journal. And the reason why I think it makes sense for Embodied Philosophy to publish something like the Tarka Journal as opposed to, say, a journal that just has you know walls of text without any imagery is precisely what Stephanie said. We're trying to embody the philosophy. Well, we can't embody with a book, right? It's still gonna be a text that's apart from our embodiment, but it's appealing to other senses at the very least. And you know, what other senses can you appeal to with a book besides words? And, and you know, the obvious answer is pictures. So it, it kind of invokes, I feel like a different dimension of understanding besides the discursive, besides the kind of knowing that's associated with the literary. And I, f I feel like that makes it the kind of document that embodied philosophy would publish. What you were saying about you kind of hear magazine and you get a little bit flustered. And I actually think that's really great because one of the reasons I think that art is necessary for Tarka is because what, an, what a magazine essentially is, is approachable and digestible, right? And I think something without a lot of art is perhaps a little bit more intimidating um, to consume. And so as you were speaking, I was thinking about the art and another job that the art has to do um, is to make it, is to make the entire piece feel like I can and want to pick it up and read it. And even if this particular article might go over my head a little bit or it's introducing a lot of new concepts I'm still maybe by way of art feeling like it's for me to read um, because because of the levity perhaps that some of the art might give some of the stronger texts to that point I think that Tarka and I think we're all maybe a little bit biased here in that Tarka is really kind of in the middle of all of these genres of print editions, right? Book, journal, magazine. And I'd like to think the art, yeah, definitely has a part in that. Um, but that's why I think that it makes it particularly special. Uh, you know, just from a strategic standpoint, I remember someone saying to me after we had announced that we were doing Tarka, why are you doing something in print? Like everything you do is online and, and certainly the age of the, the physical text is over. And as someone who absolutely despises Kindle, I have to say that is not true for me, but I do think that there is this, we've talked about this, Ryan, right? That there's then this shift towards a renewed appreciation for like a beautiful book. As people buy less and less books, it seems like there's been this shift towards, but also producing these, when you do create a book, you create a really beautiful one that is something that you want to have, that you want to sort of open on your coffee table that has sort of uh, something more than, you know, just your standard paperback book would have. Well, I 
also think that, I mean, I, I do hear the the move towards digital everything, you know, of course, embodied philosophy is an online platform. And even at the university level, you know, more and more books are, you know, thankfully being made available through libraries uh, to, so that that's lower cost to students. They can just, you know, have access to digital copies of books, but everyone also has, is so inundated with screen time that I think, especially for a platform like Embodied Philosophy, it's a very nice compliment to have to have something that you can sit in a comfortable chair outside or maybe outside in a place where you don't want to have your devices nearby and be able to read something and have that separation from the digital world, but also be able to connect back into a community that's that's virtual. I literally can't read Kindles. Like I just can't get into a book that's on a Kindle. I've tried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at risk of sounding like I'm just selling this thing, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, I feel like particularly like with the practice section at the back, right? Like if for me, Kindle, I can't, I will, I will maybe do an ebook for a fiction book, but I can't touch it for something that I might want to flip through or later reference. Right. And so I think specifically given that we have a, a practice section, make something like a workbook feel so important. Yeah, so now that we've made the case for (laughs) subscribing to the print edition of the Charka Journal. (laughs) Ryan, I wanted to ask you more directly about kind of the relationship between art and spiritual practice in your life. I mean, you know, you're obviously an artist and uh, you have your own independent art practice. You teach art in at the new school, Parsons, right, which is a part of the new school. And I know because I know you quite well and we're close friends and we've had conversations about lots of spiritual things. We've had some fun, intoxicating conversations about God and what God means for us as queer people. So I know that you're also a deeply spiritual person. So I was just curious about how art and spirituality intersect for you in your own life. The two things that are notoriously hard to put words to are perhaps like a direct spiritual experience and the experience or perhaps presentation of visual art making, right? By nature, both of them are kind of elusive to words. And to talk about then the relationship between the two feels like um, trying to just speak with a mouthful of socks or something. You know, there's not, <laughs> there's not any, I, I, I would have to really sit for a while to, to put any sort of articulated form around around the relationship between spiritual practice and art practice, but I'll try. I think for one, like any creative practice is by nature spiritual in that so much of spirituality has, or different spiritual practices really sink themselves into that kind of birthing energy, you know, the, uh, from the dawn of the universe to the creation of human life to any sort of small creation throughout the day, I think that the nature and ability and perhaps drive to make and create is at its foremost um, purely spiritual. And so when making anything, music or art, or when, when I'm kind of making art, you're essentially drumming something, not necessarily from nothing, but you're conjuring something in a sense. And so I think that there's a sort of spell-like quality to that 
there's a sort of prayer-like quality to that where you are trusting something inside of you onto something in front of you. So I guess there's a, I guess there's sort of a, a purity in which both the art practice and the spiritual practice sort of share in, especially in that sort of realm of pure creation. Now, beyond that, you know, I think thematically, at least in the past year or so, for my own art practice, I've thought a lot about um, how does the work that I create with my hands relate to and call forward, um, you know, this sort of general ancestry or even specific ancestors of the past, um, which feels like a personal spiritual practice to me. How can the piece itself, if we're talking about paint, how can the quality of the paint and so many people have talked about this, um, painters and artists, but how can the quality of the paint and the surface feel in and of itself to the viewer, like a spiritual experience, right? Um, I tend to try and avoid references to any sort of time-based culture or moment such that the piece lives in a more spiritual realm rather than in a specific place like something pop art might do. I was actually just listening to a podcast with Ezra Klein and uh, a woman who wrote a, a book I'm gonna have to find the name of, of something about being formless and she it took her many years to write the book and she's a practicing Buddhist as well and a lot of her conversation I resonated with in terms of having to trust the voices in your own head and to listen to and also know when to ignore the voices in your own head. And I think there's perhaps something both spiritual and and developing of a creative practice inside of that, right? Whether those voices be inspiring or um, self-doubting. Well, for having uh, at the start said that you didn't have a way of answering it, you answered that question very beautifully. And, um, and actually, even after you mentioned the elusive quality of both of them, I felt like you kind of answered the question because, you know, that's one way of expressing it, right? Is the this idea that art and creativity, or excuse me, art and spirituality or creativity and spirituality, like share a connection to the mysterious or that which can't be captured in words, but yet is connected to everything or is, you know, in the background of everything. That certainly is one of the reasons why Kashmir Shaiva tradition has been particularly appealing because I feel like there's this overlap between the way in which the spiritual experience is sort of described and its connection to aesthetics. So like for some of the, the, the tantrikas, like the theology sort of arises actually out of an aesthetic theory. And, and Abhinav Gupta, for example, I talked about him in the last podcast, he added uh, another sort of spiritual rasa to um, the rasa theory, which is the kind of, you know, classical Indian aesthetics. And, and I just find that so interesting. If we could connect to the spiritual the spiritual essence of art and creativity more in our culture rather than thinking that we have these two things you know religion and spirituality over here on the one hand and art and over there on the other hand i mean that's what our secular culture has done for the most part right it's like art is something that you know bougie people do when they go to the gallery where they consume their high class art and then they have hyper intellectual conversations about it and even though in the maybe written materials about some work, there might be some description of it as being spiritual. I feel like we don't have much of a dialogue happening around the relationship to art that connects with its spiritual qualities, I guess. 
I, I love the reference to the mystical experience. I feel like a lot of times when I'm asked to speak about why I study yoga philosophy or why I want to teach and talk about yoga philosophy, I bring up this same kind of trope of premise of theology being faith-seeking understanding. But it really, uh, for me, comes back to, I think about at a very young, uh, a young adult age, having something like a mystical experience and literally spending the next few years through art, through writing, through travel, through other, just trying to make sense of it, wrestling with, you know, do I, do I come to a spiritual community and join, you know, am I seeking a community to make sense and, and unpack this sort of mystical experience? How do you connect? There's also a longing with any kind of mystical experience, the desire to go back to that, connect back into that, because you know what, that there's some possibility there for that experience. And I think with the practice of yoga, there are these, you know, many opportunities for glimpses of something like a mystical experience. That's why so many people are hooked into all kinds of varieties of yogic practice, because they get that, that rasa, that flavor, that experience of, of the mystical. And, and so I think that connecting that back into the, the, to art and the visual world is, is another level of that and how that is the, the ineffable quality that, um, that we know is there and yet is so hard to put into words or so hard to fully um, articulate at times. We want to acknowledge it in some way. So having, I think that that's part of the process for me, when I think of making art, that would be part of the process, but it's also what I love about having the imagery in connection to everything that we're doing. When we try to, I think even in, for example, our discussion threads for the yoga philosophy certificate program, I like to find an image. You know, I feel like that it's hard to get, I feel like it's hard to call out people's attention without having some sort of evocative image to pull in to what the content of it, even if it's just an announcement, I think that there's an image level that um, that really speaks to our soul and calls us back into the present moment. I, I was wanting to um, ask Ryan something about your process for making art. We've talked about the why, and I'd love to hear a little bit about the how. Um, you know, how you move from an article to an image and maybe, um, you know, I know you're not literally transcribing or illustrating the article, <laughs> you know, it's not that, that kind of, um, so I'm curious how you, you know, what your process is like. I mean, my favorite part of the process, honestly, is, um, when you, when you say, okay, we've got a lot of articles in and I can go in and read them. I really love that kind of first read through of the entire the entire issue or the the developing issue and kind of getting a, a sense of not only each article but the sort of family of articles that's being collected here as well because oftentimes with any collection of work there ends up being a crescendo or a underlying theme that we didn't quite realize was going to be a part of it that emerges from whenever things come together. So I love that sort of initial read through um, of as many as a, of as many as the preliminary articles as possible to just get glimpses of that stuff. And then I'll just I'll just take notes on each one of things that kind of stand out visually um, or themes that come to mind. And if I'm lucky, I'll also just start sketching 
little thumbnails or several little thumbnails for each one of, okay, we can do a collage like this, or this one really just needs to live in an abstract world because there is nothing that is going to be figurative or literal about, about this one. Then pulling back and seeing, okay, do we have a balance of more abstract things and, you know, maybe perhaps photographic stuff so that the overall texture from start to finish is varied because we could do, you know, photos from start to finish and that's one look and feel. We could do collage from start to finish and that's one look and feel. But the thing that Tarka has done is really pull from a few different visual aesthetics. So once I read the whole thing, do some sketches and some notes, I'll then also kind of look and see, okay, uh, are we pacing the, uh, the language and the texture of the image um, or the variety of style, I should say, throughout to make it feel like there's a bit of a wandering journey uh, as, as you go through the whole thing. And then the, the part I don't love that comes next, honestly, is just digging around for source materials. That is, I'm always excited to start. And then halfway through, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find one image. I'm trying to find one image, you know, that, that says it or does it. And that's hard. That takes a long time. Do you have sort of an intuition of what that image is like that you're seeking? Or are you sort of looking and exploring and hoping that that image will appear? Both. And then sometimes another image will appear. And we're talking about collage here, right? So a lot of the images we're using are collage or very referential historical images. And so many times I'll have a very specific idea. Sometimes I don't. And I'll just start to kind of cull through stuff online through a number of different kind of online libraries and something will pop out and I'll say, oh, that's the feeling. So it happens, it happens both ways, right? Where maybe I can surprise myself. A lot of the process too is really, especially with the more uh, text-based, and when I say text, I mean sort of like older text-based articles that are often referencing older texts um, and older theologies and ideas. Oh, there's a lot of homework that goes into that as well, especially when we start doing literal depictions of things and perhaps specific scenes mentioned from the text, right? The fortunate thing is a lot of them, those images live in a great place copyright-wise. But the unfortunate thing is that the specific, specific time and culture of what's being referenced as someone who doesn't live inside of that specific time and or culture requires a lot of homework and due diligence to just make sure that things are um, coming together in a way that makes sense um, and in a way that isn't just frankly sloppy, you know? As you were speaking, it just felt like you could extract from what you were describing this kind of interesting insight around the way in which seeking a feeling, right? You're talking about sort of having this sort of intention of a particular feeling that you're looking for and the way in which that makes things arise for you or like in the way in which that almost shapes perception it seems like there's something a spiritual teaching there that probably someone many times over has made at this point by uh, about how we are consciously or unconsciously at any given moment sort of seeking a kind of feeling and that tends to then give rise to our experience in the world and, and the and the way Perhaps it perhaps it even guides our eye to specific things or allows us to see things that we wouldn't otherwise see if we were in a different kind of mood or we were seeking a different type of feeling. So it's just interesting to hear you talk about that because I feel like we all, you know, even in our practice are, are trying to become more 
cognizant or cultivate an awareness around the unconscious and conscious feeling motivations that we have and, and recognizing ways in which they can be sometimes leading us towards the imagery that we perhaps don't want in our lives. Yeah. And then inside of that too, I was just thinking about how there's a lot of going back to, you know, art versus illustration and illustration having specific jobs, right? I might have a particular resonance with one image um, or a particular feeling with one thing. And there's a lot of presumption that, oh, if we use this, everyone else is going to have that same feeling um, or resonance or response to that image as well. Right. And when you're making art for yourself, doesn't matter. Yeah, that's your piece. Live your life. Um, but then the sort of job of this also having to be an illustration, right, for many people to read and also to describe the text, right, is I kind of have to trust that, oh, yeah, this feels good to me. And also, does it check a slew of other boxes, right, where it may, hopefully, I can hypothesize that it would also feel appropriate and good for the majority of other readers as well. Well, you've done an amazing job thus far, and we are all very proud of the journal. Um, I wanted to ask actually a question of you, Ryan, that was related to Stephanie's basically about your process. And you and I have spoken a little bit before about different issues being easier than others to develop art for. And, and so I was curious if you've observed anything about either types of articles or types of topics that we've explored in the journal and the the qualities or lack of qualities that that make it more or less difficult to develop art for. Do you have any thoughts on that or observations based on, you know, the last six or seven issues we've been working on? The first thing that comes to mind with that and probably the trickiest thing to wrap my head around was ironically enough the on queer dharma issue um i knew you're gonna perhaps say that. yeah i mean perhaps just approaching it from being queer and with a queer lens i was overthinking it but that rainbows, was a, ryan rainbows <laughs> well that was the issue right is that that so many i mean the i feel like the article the submissions were generously vulnerable and um towed this space of sort of specificity and universality and in such an open way and uh, I wanted to do justice to a lot of the articles but I also um, realized that how much of our idea of I mean there's 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 many aesthetics of queerness right um, that we can kind of that we can kind of draw into uh, globally or draw from globally but I think what was spoken about in the article was a little bit was perhaps removed from our material sense or our, our material sort of impressions of queerness, right? It was a little bit more, everything lived in this more liminal space. And so in that way, like, what does queerness look like when you, to your, like, to your joke, like when you take away the rainbows, right? What is, what is the image of queerness? Uh, and it, it just suddenly started to crumble for me. And, you know, I was, I was never, I never had a plan to just pour rainbows over the issue. Um, that was never really <laughs> like, and I knew we were not going to do that. Um, but outside of that, right, every single article was this sort of invention of like, well, then what does that look like, right? Well, then what does that look like? And in this sense, and in this time, and in this culture, and in this person's um, experience, what does that look like? 
Um, and that felt, it just felt like it had for me personally, some higher stakes to it. And I, and it was, it was hard. It was hard to figure out like, how do we signal queerness without leaning into the sort of stereotypes or, you know, very culturally rooted signals that exist for us? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And there's a really quotable line that we'll have to put on the meme. Um, after you take away, when you take away all the rainbows, what does the image of queerness? And that's such a, it's such a provocative question. I feel like it could be translated into a whole host of different domains and, and, and encourages us to kind of reflect upon, you know, any single topic, even, even ecology, right? We have this sort of, you could say that there is this, when you think about it in your head, there's this sense of a kind of purified, perfect nature in your mind that, you know, something green, a mountain, a tree, you know, like these are the <laughs> images of ecology. And, uh, and, you know, when you take away any of these images, I think that's a little bit what we're trying to do, even in Tarka generally, is we're, we're trying to kind of get behind the stagnant or petrified images that we have of things. And even in our topics, we're kind of trying to do that in our way of intersecting often contemporary issues with, you know, in some instances, contemplative traditions or ancient practices or approaches to things or perspectives that have not generally been brought together with that contemporary issue before. So already there, even in that intersection, that marriage of, you know, the ancient and the modern is a kind of frustrating of a certain image of something that we have. So I feel like that, what you said really kind of captures sort of the whole spirit of what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think you did such a, an amazing job. I'll just jump in to say with the queer Dharma issue, I'm just flipping through the issue while we're talking and, and kind of reconnecting with some of these images. You know, I knew, I knew while we were working on it, you'd mentioned a few times that it was, you were having, you know, some challenges coming up with images and, and working through the issue, but the final product is really um, so varied um, from being really specific uh, images of people and places that could be recognized to more abstract. We have a couple of contributing artists in that particular issue, but also the, the collage work and the, the art pieces that you selected um, stand out and it all works together in a really, really beautiful way. Thanks. Yeah, I'm kind of flipping through it too. We were really lucky to get this <clears throat> from Jess and from Daniel. Yeah. And that was super, super supportive um, to the entire thing. Yeah, it's tricky. I really resonate, Jacob, with what you're saying about this sort of clash between the ancient and the contemporary and how do we visualize that time and time again, too. That's sort of a recurring challenge across all of them. How, and how do we do that in a way that feels like invigorated and also respectful and also like unexpected all at the same time? Feel like it wouldn't be a conversation about the art in Target if we didn't mention a few of the artists that we've worked with. Because in addition to Ryan, who of course is the the head honcho of the art in the journal and has created so many beautiful images for the journal, we've also worked with some artists. We worked with Naomi, Daniel, Chelsea. Yeah, we've had a few. I, th I love the visual essay component in the very center. We've had that be in a, in a couple of issues. This was. Um, 
uh, Ekabumi Charles had mm. the, some of his illustrations in the center of the Bhakti um, for author of the Bhakti coloring book and Shakti coloring book. Yeah, right. We'll know him for sure. For on ecology, we had the contributing artist of, of Day um, Skilled Kret, and he has the you know nature mandalas, very beautiful. And in particular, I'm remembering the scholar practitioner was Jess Cole. Uh, I'm sorry for uh, on queer dharma, we had Jess Cole visual essay based on her um, her video short from Nirvana. But yeah, we've so had- we featured artists right in the, then basically in two <laughs> different ways, like one as sort of um, the featured artists threaded throughout the issue. And then, and, and then as you're saying, Stephanie, as artists who are, who are included in visual essays. Yeah, we had Naomi Alessandro contributed a number of uh, illustrations for On Illusion. Also, we have Daniel Suarez in the Queer Dharma um, has a number of illustrations, paintings that he's contributed. And then uh, Chelsea contributed to On Death and on scholar practitioner. And mm-hmm. I wanted to bring those up in case there are um, artists in the audience. If there are artists out there who are interested in um, contributing art for Tarka, we'd love to hear from you. You can send an email to tarka at embodiedphilosophy.com. The other part that's less, uh, we have artists that have contributed poetry. And so I just think that's worth mentioning that I think that that's its own form of evocative illustration in words that's less literal. And, um, and that's increasingly become uh, a component of the practice section of, of Tarka. So I wanted to talk about our story and how you came to work with us. And I guess I'll just start by talking about how I found you because I think I I, know how so you did I it. knew about you, you like, before you knew about me. Yeah, you were riding a horse and I was running out and you were like with a lasso on your arm and you just like threw it out and dragged me in is basically how it happened. <laughs> well, I think that um, actually sounds like what I what I witnessed. <laughs> Let it be known that Ryan initially turned me down when I asked him to come work for us because he was too busy. Um, But I had, Ryan has another project. Well, he has many projects, but one of his projects is this journal called Aligned, which everyone who listens to, in addition to subscribing to Tarka, (laughs) should subscribe to Aligned. And um, you had posted some images of the opening or release party of of Aligned, which you had done, I think, at the Brooklyn Ashtanga studio. And it was gorgeous. You had this really long, lovely table. Everyone was seated on the floor, of course, in perfect lotus posture. And they were just the most elegant photographs. And it looked like a dinner that I wish I had been invited to. And then everything about your aesthetic for the journal, I was just like, this person knows, or this person expresses in a visual way exactly what or I want for embodied philosophy or, or at the very, I mean, aligned is obviously different, but I knew that you had the capability to kind of understand the visual direction that we were going for. And, and so I always wanted to work with you. Um, and you also just seemed cool. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, first after they wouldn't let me um, issue a, a restraining order, 
Hi, this is Kevin. <laughs> Rude. No, I um thanks for mentioning aligned. That's actually it's that's a project that's been on pause for quite some time. Um but has sort of seeded a number of other really wonderful things, this included. You know, I never really had the um I never really had the the backing quite enough to do a full large journal like Tarka with aligned. And so in many ways, Tarka has become a an a print outlet for that. Uh, side of me and for that particular interest and passion. So I feel lucky to be able to sort of express that in Tarka. We exist in a similar space aligned in Tarka, but they're extremely, they're very distinct. In terms of how I, how, yeah, I mean, it was great. Uh, we, we met at my office at the time. I am an avid magazine or journal, if you will, collector. And I remember, I think I just, I think I just took them all off the shelf and plopped them on a table in front of you, specifically for Tarka at least, right? Because we had already been, I think, working on, can't remember if this was the first, I guess this was the first time we were really meeting about anything for embodied philosophy. I, I just threw them all on, on the table in front of you and I said, what do you like? Um, and we had a nice little session where, you know, we liked it seven inches or, um, you know, we like this type of paper or we liked maybe something um, of a different format. And it just felt kind of like a natural birth. <laughs> and I was really, I mean, I've been really grateful for you coming on board because I feel like it's allowed us to fulfill a kind of aesthetic vision that, that, that we started with, but kind of got lost when I started Embodied Philosophy, I made all of the images myself. And I mean, most of them were bad, but some of them I spent a lot of time on and I was actually really proud of. And, and the ones that I was proud of were these collages that I had made. I remember the first one I did went before when Embodied Philosophy was called Five Tatvas. I took like these five essentially like Moroccan tiles, like images of Moroccan tile. And then I overlaid them with, this is going to sound really cheesy, but um, it looked cool. Overlay them with like black and white pictures of like vintage people doing yoga poses. And then I found some chakras and I clipped those off, you know, with Photoshop, obviously, and put those on. And, and so it had this kind of retro collage slightly post politics 1968 realness to it. <laughs> and, um, and then afterwards, after start, you know, when I was working with other people and I didn't do any images anymore because it was too time consuming, then we just kind of settled into a habit of, of using stock images and, and not really having anyone doing original art. So you coming on and especially in Tarka, I feel like it's obviously an evolution of that because you know you're a real artist and I'm not. <laughs> um, it, it's an evolution of that, and and so it kind of reconnects us, I think, to our sort of aesthetic roots, and that has been really just really meaningful and and fulfilling for me. I'm always trying to get back to something that's actually kind of less polished and a little bit more like uh, referencing a revolutionary thought movement, you know. Uh, to your point of like um, the aesthetics of the 60s. And so that's been kind of an ongoing project in the back of my mind of, of how can we how can we continue to extract and, and pull that specific, uh, you know, kind of visual language out more and more too. And you've done a really good job, I think, of, of capturing that, even though I know you're saying it's still a, a process, but 
there because right you can do that and it can feel nostalgic right or it can feel hokey like it's very easy to try to just redo the 60s i mean i'm thinking of like the bubble acid letters you know <laughs> or you see like a uh um a poster for a band and it you know it looks like i don't know like advertising magic mushrooms or something so not that um but something that you know you know exactly it retains this but we love sort of that. radical quality but we love that we do actually yeah you can't knock the the bubble mushrooms <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who feel inspired by this conversation to take magic mushrooms tonight there is a integration <laughs> series of talks available on EPTV for you to integrate your experience. Now announcing the next issue of Tarka on magic mushrooms. So Ryan, what is next? for um, the Tarka Journal, there's spiritual citizenship coming out. Tarka is coming out. Are you, have you started work on Tark, on, um, not sorry, on Tantra, not Tarka. That's the name of the journal. <laughs> um, have you started working on that way? And I'm curious what, um, what the process is like for the upcoming issues. I actually really love doing the work so far for um, spiritual citizenship. I think that's probably one of my favorite issues so far, if not um, my favorite one. I did that a little bit differently. I workflowed that a little bit differently. Um, sometimes I'll kind of do the art and set the article um, and then move on to the next one, do the art, set the article. Uh, but this time I just did all the art from the get-go. I felt a little more time efficient. And again, like I was saying, I could kind of get a better sense of like what that overall kind of arc of texture um, was going to be like. And so going back to sort of the revolutionary style, I think that that's a little bit more explored in this spiritual citizenship one. I mean, both thematically and also just something that I've been thinking about. So I am really looking forward to seeing that one in print. It's also just happens to be um, a lot of really saturated images and colorful images and um, deep tones and stuff. Thank you so much, Ryan, by the way, for talking about art and spirituality and the Tarka Journal with us today. It's been such a pleasure. And I'm just realizing as, we're, as we've been having this conversation, just how lovely it is to actually talk about the process a little bit. And maybe some people will find it totally boring and uninteresting, but it's actually kind of nice. And, and it does give a, a glimpse into the work that we're doing behind the scenes. And, and, and I think in certain ways, it can be inspiring for other people to hear a little bit about you know, the goings on and the the trial and errors in, in, in various ways. So thank you so much yeah, for sharing I think your time. It's, it's really been very reaffirming in a, in a lot of ways to think about um, the way that the images are a vital component and not just a, something that's pretty on the cover or something that to have this conversation has really brought that to even further to my attention, although I've been aware of that process in just giving space to talk about it and seeing, to talk and think about the fullness of the issue and the fullness of the, of the product that we're creating together. I've totally enjoyed being able to geek out on something that by nature often doesn't have words on it. So it's, it's fun to sort of invent words and in ways of speaking about something that often lives silently. Ryan, is there anything you want to share as a shameless plug right now, as we close the episode about what you're doing, or if you want to share any way people can get in touch with you. 
you can see some of the art that I'll be posting on my own Instagram more and more this coming year, um, which is Ryan and then underscore my last name, Lemire. And I think that's all I would share at the moment. Ryan underscore Lemire, he has a beautifully curated Instagram, not at all um, self-indulgent or narcissistic as so many Instagrams are these days. Um, And actually, if you are watching the video of this, which most people won't, but behind Ryan is some of his beautiful recent work that he has been He's been doing some really cool images that I hope will make it into Tarka actually, because they seem very well suited to our aesthetic. So if you want to see some of Ryan's own artistic process, do follow him on Instagram. We will see you soon. (laughs) (laughs) I really have to get a better way of like closing these. We need curtains. curtains. (laughs) Signing off. One, two, three, out. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. (laughs) Please like, comment, and subscribe. Well, thanks everybody for paying attention up until this point and staying for the last hour with Stephanie Corigliano, who is the editor in chief of the Tarka Journal, and here also with Ryan Lemaire, uh, creative director or art director of the Tarka Journal. And I'm Jacob, and we are very happy that you've stuck with us for this long. And um, oh God. <laughs> all your friends, <laughs> we need subscribers, please. <laughs> oh, God. Please buy the journal. <laughs> Good night.